All right, well, thank you so much for hanging out with us, Vine fam. I'm so excited that we are here today. I'm thankful for each and every face I get to see in front of me that God is allowing us to gather together. We are so thankful. It's an honor and a privilege, and honestly, the partnership we have here at the YMCA has been absolutely incredible. So we just want to remind you once again, Alex told you earlier, I want to remind you earlier, would love to invite you here uh, to worship with us in the sanctuary live. We have socially slash physically distanced chairs. We're taking measures with mask and hand sanitizer. And we just want to let you know, we have a seat saved for you if you can make it in the house, but maybe you can't make it in the house and you're watching us online around the world. Take just a moment, let us know where you're watching from right quick. Uh, if you would. And also, I just want to once again say what an honor and a privilege it is for you to spend time with us. We call you our EFAM or our extended family because here at the Vine Church, you're only a guest once. After that, you're family. And because you're family after that, what we've been doing throughout these past few weeks is we've been getting to know each other because here's the thing about family. They know each other, right? Some of your best laughs and biggest arguments happen in your family. Let's be real. It always does. And so because of that, we don't want to have one-sided conversations. We want to worship together each and every week. So this week as we continue How Sweet the Sound, uh, I want to ask you a question. I've only got one this week, but it may take just a minute to come up with it, okay? Here's the question I have that I would like to get to know you with today. you got some neighbors around you. You can comment uh, what your answer is to this question, whatever that looks like for you, and it's this. If you had a life quote, what would it be? If you had a life quote, what would it be? It can be one that's already been out in the world right now. It can be one that you made up and coined yourself. If you had a life quote, what would it be? I imagine somebody's going to write, the more you think, the less you know if you're doing it right. I'm just kidding. That's not, but maybe it is yours. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe, maybe you have a lyric of a song that's your life quote. Maybe you have a Bible verse <laughs> that's your life quote. Maybe you have, uh, I don't know, a recipe, uh, whatever that is. I don't know. Whatever your life quote is, I would love to know what it is. And maybe you don't have one. That's okay, too. Say, I don't have one. I'm going to share with you one that has stuck with me recently, but one that is kind of... Uh, kind of, I guess, shaken me and goes with what we're talking about today. And it's a quote from Jim Elliott. Jim Elliot. And Jim Elliott was a missionary. And the first time I heard this quote was actually at a missionary conference. But also, if you've ever gone through the Experiencing God Bible study, this quote is in there. And it says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot lose. In order, or excuse me, he is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. In other words, what Jim Elliott was saying is the things of this earth are temporary and that you're no fool if you're giving away the things of this earth to gain eternal things, to focus on eternity. And so for me, that's kind of a life quote. That's something that I've kind of stuck by and it's something that walks with each and every one of us as we talk about today living a life of worship. It's kind of different what we've been walking through in this series, if I'm completely honest. We, we've been focusing on worship, and we've been talking about worship, and most of the time you don't have a series of it. I've said that. If you've grown up in church, you usually hear about the alabaster jar. Awesome. An extravagant worship and what that looks like. It's an awesome story. Jesus said that woman would be remembered throughout the ages, and that story's in every gospel in the New Testament. It's an important story. But what we've been trying to talk about and teach each other about through this series is more than one aspect of worship. 
And it's culminating in this. We started off talking about our heart, about how we have to have our heart in the right place. And whatever we love our, and whatever our heart follows will be the thing that we worship. If we worship, uh, if we worship uh, I don't know, a restaurant, we'll show up there all the time. If our heart wants it, if our heart desires it. If we desire our spouse, we will love our spouse. If we desire church more than Jesus, we'll desire church more than Jesus. If we desire Jesus, we will go and worship Jesus. So our heart being in the right place because all of us were made for worship. We talked about how our hands are involved in worship. And when our hands get involved in worship, how they help us do the work of God, but also they're part of us. They're part of our body. They're part of our being. They're part of our soul. They're part of the thing that we have that God has equipped us with to worship. Last week, we talked about our feet. We went through some sacrifices. You you, you walked through Leviticus with me, maybe learned some things about Leviticus you didn't know, but we talked about literally how our feet and walking in the ways of God is a part of worship. And so today, all of those together, our heart being in the right place, worshiping God, hearing his word, really we, we kind of laid the groundwork for last week, hearing God's word, our hands in worship, doing God's work, and our feet in worship, walking in God's ways will help us live a life of worship. And so today I ask you what your life quote would be, and I gave you the Christian answer, but really that Jim Elliott quote, even though I butchered it the first time I said it, really is important to me because it signifies a life of worship. And so that's what we're going to talk about and how sweet the sound as we wrap up this series. We're going to talk about life, how our life can be worship, how to live a life of worship. So if you've got your Bible today, we're going to be in two places. We're going to start in Romans 12, and then we're going to camp out in Nehemiah 8 and learn about how to live a life of worship. And so if you've got your Bible, if you want to go ahead and get to Romans 12, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free for the asking. Maybe you like to do things digitally, you can follow along on the Bible app with us. But we're going to start off in Romans 12, and we're going to see what Paul writes to the Roman church when he talks about living a life, in wor a life of worship. Now, this is going to be something that's familiar to many of us, but I kind of want to lay the groundwork while you're flipping there and I'm flipping there. Paul has just spent 11 chapters to the Roman church talking literally about a thesis, laying a groundwork, saying who God is and what the gospel is. Like, who is God and why is he important? And so then when we know who God is, why God is important, why it's important that the gospel is there, he starts at Romans 12 and what our response to God is. Now, we've talked about what worship is. Worship is the only gift that we can give back, give back to God. Another way that we can think about worship is, is, is a volcano. Volcanoes erupt, right? Not the Jimmy Buffett song. Hang in there with me. Oh, it's a great song. But like, not the Jimmy Buffett song. Our worship is something internally that comes out externally. So like a volcano erupting, the thing that we worship will erupt and the whole world will see it. And so Paul is saying, hey, once you know who God is and you're willing to go into his presence, worship will be the thing that follows. Let's see how and what he talks about here in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, last week we talked about sacrifices, remember? Went through those. If you slept halfway through, go back and watch. It's okay. We talked about sacrifices and why they were important and how Jesus is our sacrifice and our mediator so that we can go into the presence of God. Now, Paul is shifting gears saying, hey, those sacrifices were dead. Those sacrifices, once the animal was sacrificed, it wasn't coming back. 
If it did, it was a crazy Halloween movie at that moment in time. Paul's saying our bodies now are living sacrifices that are a sweet, pleasing aroma to the Lord. So once we know who God is and we go in his presence, we'll automatically have worship. He goes on, our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So how do we do that? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we just spent a series in Mastermind talking about how to rewire our thoughts to help us tune in to the will of God. And I want to tell you, worship is a key part to tuning in to the will of God. Otherwise, you're guessing and you might have great intentions for what God has, but it might not be the great thing he created you for. And so Paul is saying, hey, once you know who God is and you know that Jesus is our mediator and our sacrifice to bring us into the presence of God, then worship is your response. It is the only response. And the way that you worship will help you know what God's pleasing and good will is for you. And so now that we know that, and now that we know that worship is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, I want to share with you a story about Israel. I want to, it's not a story, it's truth. I want to share with you uh, in Nehemiah how Israel had got away from worship, how Israel had been in this place where many of us can be, especially in this season right now, where it's really hard to maybe even want to worship God, isn't it? Sometimes you may ask the question, is God even there? Is God even paying attention to me? Is God even listening? Like, yes, so God wants my praise. And you go through the motions of worship. You go through the rites of worship. You go through the checkbox of worship, but you never experience real worship with your life. And you never experience having an encounter with the presence of God. And what I want you to know is that's why we do what we do every week. That's why we're here, church. Like this is a culmination of six days of us experiencing the presence of God individually so that we can come together corporately as one body to worship a living God. And so let's look and see what happens when we stray from that. Because if we want to learn how to live a life of worship, I'm hard-headed. Sometimes you don't have to tell me what to do. I just need to know what not to do. And so let's look at what Israel had done and learn from how they didn't live a life of worship. And then when they confessed and repented and changed, they got to experience God in a new way. So if you got your Bible, we're going to be all the way back in the Old Testament, Nehemiah 8. So it's going to take a big chunk of your Bible. But Nehemiah 8 is where we're going to be. And I want to share with you something that's awesome that's going to teach us about how we can live a life of worship And in about four hours, I'll have my thesis done. We'll be good. Don't worry. The lunch lines will die down. You got to get delivery anyway. So let's be real. It's okay. So y'all hang in here with me. I know we're in the Old Testament, but I believe you're going to see today Jesus all over this story. And I know that we're going to leave here better than how we walked in. So Nehemiah 8, what has ended up happening is we just talked about Paul gave his thesis in Romans 11 about who God is. And then our natural response as Christians, once we've gone into the presence of God, we realize who he is, is worship. So now Israel has turned their back on God. 
All right? And when they did, they went into 70 years of Babylonian captivity because they turned their back on God. And now they were exiles in Babylon, and they have been sent back to Jerusalem. Where while they were gone, their houses were burned, the city wall was broken down. Everything that they had once owned had now been gone and destroyed. Sounds like maybe some cities right now, doesn't it? Sounds like maybe some of our lives feel that way. Maybe the job we just started is gone, or maybe, maybe the career path, or maybe the school year we're supposed to be walking into seems like it's left in shambles and broken down in this city and this season that we're in. And so because of that, what ends up happening as they walk through there is they have come back from captivity. This guy named Nehemiah hears from God. God says, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem because the people now are going to have their homes, but they have no defense. And so Nehemiah gets all these people together. He gets all these people telling him that he's crazy, that they shouldn't do this, and they still, they go rebuild the wall. So they've rebuilt the wall. They've done the work of God, and that's where we're going to pick up the story in Nehemiah 8, and we're going to see Israel's response to following God's ways. Verse 5 says this, Ezra opened the book. Now, the book is the book of law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, He opened the law, they had neglected the law, and they had found the law. Ezra had found the law written down. For so long, Israel had neglected it, and so they didn't have true and proper worship. So he opens the book. All the people see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it up, the people stood up. So how many people have been in churches where when the word of God was read, you stood up? This is where that comes from. It's reverence to his word. Aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't do that because the way he's equipped me to teach, he'd be standing up the whole service because of the way that I walk through scripture. So I'm thankful that Jesus can work through a broken vessel like me and work through anyone. But I want to tell you that's where this comes from. So Ezra goes, he opens the book, and look what his response is when he sees the word of God. Verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their face to the ground. You see what ended up happening is Israel had walked out of God's ways for so long. They finally started walking in his ways, took the next step he called them to take, worked together, came together. And when they did that, all of a sudden their response was they hear the law. When they hear the law now, all of a sudden they're starting to hear from God. They enter into his presence in this moment, and their response is worship. Their response is worship. They haven't worshipped. You're going to see they haven't worshipped like this since they stepped into the promised land. We're going to see how this story plays out. Verse 7. Hold on to your hats here. This is fun. Uh, This is one of those where I I butcher names a lot. So if I butcher your name, I'm sorry, wherever you are, wherever you don't have anything crazy happen. So here we go. The Levites, Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, and Peleah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, pay attention to this, making it clear and giving the message so that the people understood what was being read. read excuse me. If there was anything that I pray each and every Sunday, is this. Not my words, but the Lord's words. That you would leave here with a clear understanding of what God would want you to hear today. For the first time, Israel, 
this generation of Israel who had just come back from captivity has heard the law of God, heard the ways of God, heard his plan for their life, heard his purpose for their life, and it finally made sense. Why? Because their heart was seeking him. Why? Because they did his work with their hands building the wall. Why? Because they walked in his ways taking the next step that he called them to take. And so for the first time, they clearly understood the law. Now look at what their response is. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructed the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Guys, the law reminds us that none of us can measure up. Israel is realizing for the first time they couldn't clean themselves up enough. They couldn't work themselves to God. They couldn't do enough, sacrifice enough to God that there had to be a mediator and they had to be a sacrifice. This is pointing to Jesus coming. Yet so many times... I take for granted that I get to live on this side of the resurrection. Because I want to say, when is the last time that you've ever wept in the presence of God? I'm not talking about to make a scene. I'm not talking, I mean like, I can tell you I've been in the presence of God where just tears flow. It's unexplainable. And it's because I know I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to stand in his presence. Israel was afraid to be in the presence of God because every time God appeared in the Old Testament and somebody stepped in his presence with sin, they died. And yet here they are getting to enter into the presence of God, his ways, know his ways. They walk in his ways. They do his work. All of a sudden now they realize, they realize the need for confession and repentance of their sin. If you read Nehemiah 9, that's exactly how they responded after Nehemiah 8, after this happens. And so the question I've had to ask myself and I would ask you is, has your worship ever led you to this? You see, the reason everyone shares the alabaster jar is you remember that's what the woman was doing. She was weeping, washing his feet with her hair and her tears. When you're in the presence of God, it will lead to tears. When you clearly understand how unworthy we are, but how faithful he is to allow us into his presence, how Jesus is our mediator and sacrifice. Guys, this is what happens individually and corporately. Church, this is what we get to do. That's why we all worship differently. But I can tell you, if you haven't been moved to tears recently, I'm not telling you to go out in your car and just ugly cry here in a minute. So hear me out. This is what I'm trying to say. Ask God to move your heart to be in his presence. Ask him what he's showing you. Because I can tell you, this is probably once a week. I've been in my car doing it. People probably think I'm crazy. They see my connect with me at the Vine TV magnet, and they're like, I'm not going to that church. That guy's just crying in the middle of the street, like what in the world's going on? I'm telling you, your worship will lead to that. And so Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah see that the people are weeping. They see that the people are ready to respond for the first time. They see the importance of something coming and atoning for their sin. Nehemiah said, go, enjoy the choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Homecoming. You know food's tied into this. Homecoming. He said, go get them covered dishes. And even though you're weeping in the name of the law, it's zero calorie. It's what we pray for. You need to know. Go get the choice food. Go get the drinks. And 
have something for those who didn't have anything to eat. That's what happens every Sunday here. We prepare for those who come unprepared. That's what we get to be as the body. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We'll open this up a little bit more in verse 16 through 18. Verse 11, then the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, this is a holy day. Do not grieve. So the people are like ugly crying, eating their Krispy Kreme donuts. Like they just have one of those nutty professor moments. They're sitting on the couch. They're just weeping in this moment. And they're saying, listen, listen, the, the priest are saying this, Ezra and Nehemiah are saying, listen, this day is holy to the Lord. You are entering into his presence. But when you enter into his presence, yes, there's a reverent awe that will move you to tears. But when you're in his presence, he delights in you and you can experience joy. You see, whenever we enter the presence of God, that's when he takes our weeping and turns it into joy. He makes the broken things new. He makes all things new when we go into his presence. And that's what Ezra and Nehemiah are trying to show the people here is, hey, the weeping, the weeping can stop because there is a way that's been made. For us, we know it's Jesus. And so that's why our worship can go from tears to just outright praise and hands up and, and, and worshiping God for being in his presence. And it goes on to say, then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of the food to celebrate with great joy. Why did they celebrate with joy? Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. So they clearly hear the gospel, basically. They clearly hear the law for the first time. Their response is understanding that something had to come in place of their sin. We're going to see how this plays out here in a minute and why it's important. And then all of a sudden, they're pointing people to the presence of God. They eat some good food. They have communion together. They have fellowship together corporately. And then they go out with joy because they finally understand what, God, what God's plan is for them. What God's plan is for their sin. What God's plan is for a mediator to come. This is all pointing to Jesus. Verse 16 is where we're going to spend most of our time today, 16 through 18. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelter on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy their joy that day was very great. So since they went into the promised land, had Israel not worshipped like this? Had Israel not celebrated being in the presence of God like this? Had Israel not had the joy of the Lord be their strength like this? Coming out of enslavement, coming out of exile, they were free and they understood that that freedom had choices, but at the same time, they realized that their choice had been sin in the past. But now the choice they had to make was when they followed God, their choice was what they worshiped, and they decided to worship God, and their joy was great because of it. Verse 18, day after day, 
The first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated a festival, so this points to a Jewish festival happening. This is where we're going to go. For seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today because this is pointing to how we can live a life of worship. You're like, yep. That's great. They had homecoming, had food. Who doesn't like having food and being happy together? I will give you Thanksgiving. Depending on your family or where you live, sometimes the food is thrown. It's not joyous. Like, it's not that. It can be joyous. It depends on where you are in your circumstance. But Israel isn't letting their circumstance dictate their worship. They're letting being in the presence of God, let their response be worshiped. Let their response be worshiped. And so what feast, what festival is going on? And this is what I want to talk to you today because I want to share with you three things that happened at this festival, this feast, that will help us live a life of worship. So the feast or festival that was happening was the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. It's also called the Festival of Shelters, the Festival of Booths. You can see it a couple of different ways. The festival of ingathering is another word. But the word I have in parentheses, I'm not saying anything bad. So if there are anyone, uh, teenagers, don't say this to your parents. Uh, but this word literally, succot. Say that after me. <laughs> say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Succot. Succot. All right. So succot is a plural word for tabernacles. Sukkah, we're going to talk about what that is, was the shelters that were built, okay? So the Feast of Tabernacles happens. Let me tell you about this feast. It's so important because this is why I wanted to share with this with you today. The Feast of Tabernacles, we brushed through this before, happened five days after Yom Kippur. Now, I know you're all waiting for me to put a yarmulke on and give you all this, but I want you to see Jesus all over this. So Yom Kippur is when the Day of Atonement happens in Israel. So the Day of Atonement, what was that? All the sins of Israel for the year were forgiven. The scapegoat went out and carried all the sins of Israel away for the year. And so after they've had their sins forgiven, it's where Nehemiah is and Ezra, they find the book of law and the regulations of what festival is supposed to happen afterwards. And five days later, the Feast of Tabernacles is what's supposed to happen. So five days later, they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Nehemiah 8, and it hasn't happened, that much joy happened, that much worship happened, that much response to being in the presence of God since Joshua, son of Nun, took the promised land and led Israel into the promised land. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is so important for us because of when it happens. It happens in the fall. It's like Thanksgiving. All right. It happens between September and October, depends on the lunar calendar and when Yom Kippur happens. And what this was was a celebration for the grape and olive harvest. You don't see Jesus already. You got to get excited. The grape and olive harvest is when this happened. And they thanked God for his provision because the harvest season had ended in the fall. So once that happens, I want you to know it's one of the three major pilgrimage festivals where all Jewish males were required to go to Jerusalem to bring their tithe, to bring their sacrifice, and they had to go build these shelters up for that entire week. All right? More on that a little bit later. They had to build those shelters for the entire week in Jerusalem. But you see, the thing that's important about this festival that sets it apart from all the other festivals, it's the only festival that allows Gentiles who clearly understand the law of God to be present in the temple, to be present in the temple. 
Gentiles who knew the law, who memorized the Torah, but weren't converted to Judaism could take place in this feast. It's the only one. Now, I hope you can see where we're going. And if you can't see Jesus on this and you can see their response, all of a sudden Israel, God's chosen people, now understand the law and the importance of it. And now the Gentiles could be a part of this festival. And what's important for all of us is inside this festival, three things happen. And so I want to share with you these three things and share with you and probably reinforce to you something to help us live a life of worship. So you hanging in here with me? Give me some yeses wherever you're at online, hanging in here with me. Good times. All right, here we go, here we go. So three things happen at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and if you like WWE, you said that word wrong, don't worry. We're not Degeneration X. Forget about it. Anyway, so they'll kick us off of that. So I just want to let you know. Happened in Sukkot. Happened in Sukkot. Happened in however you want to say it. Three things happened. The first thing that happened is water was drawn from the pool of Siloam. Now, that should sound familiar if you remember a miracle that Jesus did with a paralytic in the New Testament at the pool of Siloam. Like, this is important for all of us. What they would do is they would pray for rain to fill the pool. It had to be rain that filled the pool. And they would take the water that was in the pool and they would bring it and put it in this huge silver basin that was as, almost as big as a lake is what it was described as by the altar in the temple. So they would pray for rain from God. They would pray for his revision and then pour all this water in this basin and praise God for it and they would draw water. Now, what happened in Nehemiah, I'm, I'm gonna tell you so that way you don't have to go back. But verse 16, it says the people were gathered somewhere. Let's look at this. Verse 16, so the people went out and brought back branches, built themselves shelter in their courtyard. Oh, they were by the water gate. Not water, the water slash the water space gate, not water gate as we know it, water gate. They were at the water gate drawing water as the festival called. Now you see this is crazy awesome for us because it's going to teach us the reason they did this was when Moses was in the desert, remember the people cried out for water. And what is it God told him to do? Take your staff and strike a rock and I will provide water for the people. That's what this celebrated and signified. That rock that was struck was Jesus. Keep going. I know it wasn't actually, we'll get there. Hang in here with me. So how do we live a life of worship? Number one, reinforcement. Just like the drawing of water, we have to live poured out. We gotta live poured out. Now I know you hear this all the time. I've said it a million times and you say, okay, so I gotta live poured out. What does that mean? Well, if something's poured out, uh, it means if you're thinking that you had to be filled first with something, right? See, this is why this festival is important and this feast is important. You know, the Gospel of John is my favorite gospel by far. The Gospel of John was written, John 1 was written during the Feast of Tabernacles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the Feast of Tabernacles he's talking about. Verse 3, when he talks about there was nothing that has been made that wasn't made by him. All things were made through him, right? John. John's writing this. See, Jesus declares in John 7, verse 37 and 38, during this feast in the temple, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. 
Now remember, I said it's like a volcano, right? Your worship is like a volcano. Something inside of you will flow outside of you in your worship. Jesus is saying during this feast, this is why the Pharisees got mad, because Jesus was saying, hey, that rock that Moses hit, that water came out of, yeah, that was me. That was pointing to me. I am the rock that you can build your life on. And so when they were celebrating this festival, when they brought water in in Nehemiah 8, when they celebrate this festival, it's pointing to Jesus and how he will give us water, living water, that will flow life through us. And the thing that I say when I say live poured out is when our worship not only happens individually, it will flow out corporately. It will have more than one person with us. Now, we have our individual quiet time where we set aside worship. In this house right now, corporately, we set aside a time to seek the presence of God and be in worship. So that's one cool thing that happens. So for us to live a life of worship, we've got to first be in Christ Jesus to be filled with the living water. Number two, simple is, here we go, this is going to be fun. Illumination candles went throughout the temple. So what they did is they would carry torches all throughout the temple and they would put lights all in their houses all around Jerusalem. And what they believed when they did that is this was a guiding light to guide all Jews and Gentiles into the presence of God, into the temple. So throughout the city, so it's really hard for us to think about being in a place where lights aren't on. And our world was street lights. If you've ever been out in the country, you know what it's like to not have lights on. But in other words, what would happen is throughout the entire temple, the lights would be on. Now, last week we talked about light, and when a fire started, it couldn't be put out and how God always appeared as fire in the Old Testament. This is what that's signifying is when God led Israel out of Egyptian slavery. Remember how he led them by day and night, a cloud by day, fire by night, right? Like he, he led them out. This was signifying sharing the light. It was signifying pointing people to Jesus. So what do you think we do with our worship? We share the light of Christ. When we live a life of worship, we have to share the light of Christ. We share the light of Christ. We are the temple. We are the body of Christ. We are his light to the world. He works through us to share himself to the world. He didn't have to choose us, yet he does. And so if you want to live a life of worship, share the light of Christ and point to him in all that you do. This is reinforcement. This is something that's not earth shattering. You're seeing Jesus in this kind of meaty, cool part here but I want you to see the importance of it. What this is all pointing to is for each and every one of us, we've got to share the light of Christ, right? So remember this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Right? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Blow it out. No, right? I, I remember learning that way back in children's church. Like BBS days too. We can't let our light be burned out because nothing in this world will ever blow it out. The only reason the light would go out is if we choose to let it go out because we've turned from the presence of God. See, we make the same choice in our worship. If we don't want to choose to worship God and we don't want to choose to follow him, it's really hard to point others to him if we choose not to follow him, isn't it? Because in this moment and in this world, we're going to be in panic and chaos, but instead we get to be a light. So remember, I told you about the gospel of John. What's really cool is in John 8, 12, during this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus said this, and that's why he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. This 
festival, this feast is pointing to Jesus. And during this feast is when Jesus starts his earthly ministry. When he's standing in the temple saying, not only am I the living water, y'all, I want you to know that I'm that light that you're dancing around the temple. I'm that light pointing the Gentiles to the presence of God and the Jews to the presence of God, all to the presence of God. Last but not least that happened, we shared it earlier, the sukkah were built, the shelters. Now it's S-U-K-K-A, so sukkot is, uh, or sukkot, however you want to say it, is multiples, that is tabernacles, or sukkah, or shelters were built. Now the reason those were built is to signify the 40 years that Israel wandered in the desert before they went into the promised land. Now remember, this feast happened when Israel went back in the promised land in Nehemiah 8 from exile. Crazy how God works things out in his timing. And they built these temporary shelters. And what these shelters were, there were specific regulations in Leviticus. I won't bore you with those or get into all that. I would highly recommend you read it. I think it's like Leviticus 16. You can read what it looks like. Um, but they would build these shelters outside and they would put a table in it. And they shared all their meals in the shelter and they had to live in there for seven days. And on the eighth day, they gathered as an assembly in the temple. It started on the first day with an assembly. Day seven, they have their temporary shelter. Inside, they camp out, okay? They camp out, for lack of a better term. With no DO, no shower, no nothing. They camp out. They have this food, and they have to bring this food in with them. So they camp out outside. And the reason they built those shelters was to signify how God temporarily built shelter for them as he led them through the desert, as he led them into his promise, which is the promised land. So for each and every one of us, not only do we got to live poured out, not only got to share the light of Christ, something you hear all the time, but I want you can see how it has significance. we got to live in the world, not of the world. We've got to live in the world, not of the world. If our worship is to be a lifestyle, we've got to be in the world, not of the world. We have to tabernacle in this world because Jesus tabernacled with us. He left the eternal to step into the temporary to make a way for the eternal. And so this festival, when he declares his earthly ministry, when Nehemiah 8, Israel finally gets it, that they are temporarily on this earth, but their place belongs in the presence of God. That's where we're supposed to be. And so we worship because of that. And so for each and every one of us, I want us to see that this festival, this feast is important because it's pointing to Jesus. But the thing is, for each and every one of us, we get to live it with our life of worship. It's a reminder to us that we are sojourners. We are pilgrims on this earth. This is not our eternal resting place. And so all that we do when chaos comes... When 2020 is wrong, I saw this, shared this Thursday, but it cracked me up. Someone said, we all got it wrong in 2015 when someone asked, where do you see yourself in five years? All of us, 100% failure. We all missed that, and that's okay. So I want to say, we know, we know now that this is temporary. Things can change on a dime down here, but the one thing that won't is God's faithfulness and his love for us. And so for us, if we want to live a life of worship, I want to go back to where we started. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect 
will. So we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things, that with Christ in us, we can live a life of worship, a life that makes a difference, a life that doesn't die with us, a life that goes on for eternity. We can see that all the way through. So the thing is, so many times we say, okay, well, you've given me three things that I can do, but how can I practically live out how to live a life of worship? Well, Jesus said it really simply, two ways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. It'll take your whole life to do it. It'll take my whole life to do it. But if you live that way, you will live a life of worship. Because I promise you, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, you will live a life poured out. Because it will drain the crap out of you sometimes. I'm, I'm messy, I'm broken, and I'm sure I drain people. So I'm sure if I drain people, people drain me. So when we live poured out, we get drained, but the thing that fills us is God. If we want to be the light, so many things in this life will want to blow out our candles. I'm not going to lie to you, this season that we're in, I'm so thankful. You know I hate birthday cake. Nobody likes spit. So now we're good. Nobody's spitting on candles anymore. This is the perfect dream season for a birthday for me. So I'm saying in this life, Satan will do all he can to blow out the candle that you are holding for Christ. The difference is he never can, only you can. And that's if you choose not to worship him, if you choose not to be in his presence, if you choose not to follow his ways. Now, nothing can separate us from his love, but how bright our light shines, that's on us. If we hide it under a bushel, that's on us. If we hide it behind the wall, that's on us. We choose that. But when we live a life of worship and love people, we're going to point them to Christ in all we do. And last but not least, when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul and love others, we show others, hey, it's just a season. See, the beauty of these festivals and feasts that God ordained in the Old Testament is it's just seasonal. It was always seasonal. And the more I follow Jesus, the more I try to walk in his ways, when I look at life, I realize more and more it's just a season. Everything's just a season. Seasons end and seasons begin. The difference is how I transition and how I step into it with joy versus weeping is the way that I worship and the way that I live my life as a life of worship. And so right now, wherever you are, you may be watching, maybe you have a relationship with Jesus and today is a reinforcement of something you've already learned, but I want you to see that even in the Old Testament, when you skip and breeze through things, it's so easy to go from verse 16 to 18 and not realize what that festival is. And then when you connect it to John and the Gospel of John and see that Jesus declared his ministry during the Feast of Tabernacles, you see the importance of it. You see why it matters so much and how it all points to him. And for others right now, maybe for the first time you can clearly see that. You see, all of us are sinners. Israel got it. All of us are sinners. None of us can never measure up. We can't clean ourselves up enough. We can't give enough money. We can't serve enough at the soup kitchen. We can't clean. We can't even clean the house of God. We can't, we can't set up chairs in the house of God enough to be at one with God. Because when we enter his presence with sin, the only thing that can happen is death. But you see, he made a way. He made a way. He made a way for us. He made a way by sending his one and only son to be our sacrifice and our mediator. You see, Christ, Christ lived that perfect sinless life we couldn't live, paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross, but loved us enough not to stay dead. We get to live out heaven on earth right now. We get to live 
in his presence right now. We don't have to wait until eternity to ask God who he created us to be. We have to live it right now. And so for some of us that are in Christ, I want to remind you of that because I have to remind myself of that because how I live my life of worship shows what I love because worship is love expressed. For others of you who don't know the Lord, God expressed his love this way. He says it in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I want you to know today, you may be stuck thinking you're too broken to be used by God. You may be stuck saying, if God knew what I did, there's no way he can love me. And I'm telling you, he does. So much so, he gave. And when you come to God and enter in his presence, just like Israel saw, he's not standing there with condemnation. He's standing there with open arms to welcome you home. And so right now, someone that's listening, wherever you are right now, maybe you're realizing for the first time that God just wants to welcome you home and he loves you. The object of your worship your whole life has been in status, career, car, job, uh, where your kids go to school, uh, the, the, the degree you have hanging on the wall, uh, and, and a title that you have, a position that you have. Maybe for the first time you realize that your worship has been in the wrong things. And for the first time, the object of your worship is the one that loves you enough to give everything to be in a relationship with you. So with every head bow and every eye closed, we pray out loud for the benefit of those who are coming to faith for the first time. I'm gonna ask everyone to please repeat after me this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve for my sin on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again, so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you can say for the first time that you have given your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna ask you to respond by raising your hand. One, two, three. Three. If that's you and for the first time you've given your life to Christ, would you raise your hand? If you're watching throughout the week, would you comment below? Would you shoot us an email at prayer at divine.tv or a text message or phone call at 864-580-6698? We would love to celebrate with you. And for the rest of us right now, we're about to step into a time of worship where we're going to be reminded that forever we can run to God's presence, but he has never left us. That as long as we're running to him, he is always gonna have open arms with us and for us. So right now, I just wanna ask you in this moment, maybe you heard some information you knew today, but would you look at this feast of tabernacles and see that all of us have living water that flows in us and through us that we can share to the ends of the earth? Would we see that in this moment we can share the light of Christ to those who are searching for hope? Would we see in this moment that this is just a season? What we're walking through is just a season. God is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That his faithfulness will not fail. And would we enter into his presence in this moment 
And when we leave this place by entering into his presence, we know that this day is holy and we will leave here better than how we walked in. So that's gonna be my prayer as we go into this song. And after I get through praying, I, I'm gonna ask you to stand and you worship and get into the presence of God as Vine Worship leads you there. So dear Jesus, thank you for this time that we get to be here together today. Thank you that you have come so that we can have life, that, you, that we no longer have to worry about what sacrifice to make. We no longer have to worry about what festival is going on, that we don't have to build tents, Lord, because by your grace, you know I can't do that. So thank you that you have been our sacrifice and our mediator, that we can stand in the presence of an almighty God and not be fearful, but instead can stand in reverent awe and worship and experience and be exactly who you created us to be by faithfully taking the next step you call us to take. So Jesus, in this moment, I pray that we would enter into the presence of God that we would take everything that we've carried in this place, all the stuff we gotta do after this, all the stuff that we had going in there, and we would just lay it at your feet. And for these next few moments, God, we would just experience you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
All right. Thank you guys so much for spending time with us today. I just want to remind you, hey, maybe right now you, even through this, you've heard all this and you're like, man, I just, I can't worship. I'm just too broken. I just want to remind you, God always uses the broken things to give his glory to the world, to show his glory, to reveal his glory to the world. So whatever you're walking through, let's, let's know that he's working it out for his glory and our good. And know that no matter where you are in this season you're in, God loves you wants to be with you and all you've got to do is see that he's right there with you maybe you need to pray with somebody we're going to pray and then we're going to go have an awesome week reach out to us at prayer at thevine.tv we have an incredible team who would love to pray with you in this season and walk with you through your next step so everyone let's pray and then we're going to go about our week jesus thank you again that we can run into your presence that that we can be the vessel that you reveal your glory to the world too jesus we get to be the tabernacle we get to be this space we get to be pilgrims we get to be the people that are in this world sharing eternity to the ends of the earth because our hope is found in you alone jesus thank you for loving us thank you for allowing us to come into your presence thank you for allowing us to freely worship and know what it's like to experience a life free from the penalty, shame, and guilt of sin. So Jesus, I pray that everyone we come in contact with this week that you put in your path, that we would point them to you 